Amen. You may be seated as our lights come up in the house. Thank you for being here. Let me just uh, give you guys some kudos this morning. Uh, I'm really going proud of you. I'm complimenting you this morning. Uh, it shouldn't surprise me that uh, you listen and obey God's word, um, and it doesn't really, but I want to compliment you. You know, we're in our new series, Raise the Bar, and for the last uh, three weeks, we've been raising the bar, and the, the last two weeks, we've been talking about discipleship, and the first week, we talked about church attendance, and, and we talked about raising the bar of church attendance. Well, can I tell you, since that message was preached, you have raised the bar in church attendance by between 15 and 17% over the last two weeks. So I'm proud of you. Way to go. And we got some work to do there, and we'll continue to raise that bar until we're uh, not only attending 100%, but uh, we've grown by 100%. How about that? Wouldn't that be awesome? That would be only something that God could do, nothing that we can do. So we're just waiting to see what he's going to do here at Hollybrook Baptist Church. But in the meantime, we do need to raise the bar of our discipleship. We talked about what discipleship means. For many people, discipleship is just that word that means student or learner. And so you have this teacher, master, uh, person that you sit under. But we've been using a definition for discipleship that is much greater than that. We've said that a disciple is, number one, a follower of Jesus, and number two, someone who is changed by Jesus, and number three, someone who is committed to the mission of Jesus. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Are you really truly committed to the mission of Jesus? And if you can say yes to that, then you must know what the mission of Jesus is. And so what we will do this morning is, first of all, we will see what the mission of Jesus is, and we will see if we truly are following if we are committed to the mission of Jesus. I read, this is a true story in a London newspaper. I found this article in a London newspaper. It was by, it's about a gentleman named Sohan Singh. Sohan Singh. He owns a grocery store in London, England. Well, Sohan Singh banned customers from his grocery store. Can you get that? Uh, he told the London newspaper that he was forced to make such a drastic action because of people's bad manners. First, he banned smoking. Well, I mean, we can all get behind that one, right? Banned smoking in the grocery store. You don't want your tomatoes to taste like pale mail or something. So you could ban smoking from the grocery store. That wouldn't be okay. Then he banned crude language. Again, I think we'd all be on board of that. We don't want people speaking crudely around our children and, uh, and such. Next, he banned baby strollers. After that, he banned pets. Now, I don't know why the order there, maybe the pets behave better than the babies in the strollers. I don't know. But he, he banned baby strollers. Then he banned pets. And finally, he banned customers themselves from coming into his store. So if a customer comes and they want to buy something from Mr. Singh's store, they have to go up to the window, they push a button, they point at what they want, he goes and gets it, he slides it under a little trap door, and that's how he does business today. Here's what Mr. Singh said. He says, I have lost business, but I cannot say how much. I am a man of principles, and I stand by my decision." It seems to me that a grocer 
who, ba- who bans customers from his store has lost his purpose. He has lost his mission, right? Uh, if you aim to sell groceries, then you must put up with some people whom you don't like, right? If you want to, to sell the groceries, you, you have to put up with things maybe you don't like in order to achieve your purpose. So what was Jesus' purpose? What was his mission? And is his mission the same as our mission? Those are all the questions that maybe we'll try to answer this morning. If you have the little bulletin that was that's sitting out there, you'll notice a bunch of verses in that bulletin this morning. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 3. We're going to jump to Luke, and then we'll be all over the place. So Genesis chapter 3. Now this, at the very beginning of all creation, is the first time we see evangelism anywhere in the Bible. This right here in Genesis chapter 3 is the first time we see the gospel in the Bible. We actually call this, theologians have a name for this, it's proto-evangelium. Proto meaning first, evangelium of course is spreading the good news. So it's called the first gospel. If you found Genesis chapter 3, look in verse 15 with me. This is God speaking to Satan. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the very first prophecy of a savior in all of scripture. And again, it's called the proto-evangelium or the first gospel because it's the first time in all of the Bible that predicts a savior. We also see here in this one verse, we see two messianic promises or prophecies. Number one, he will crush your head. That is the seed of Mary, Jesus, will crush Satan's head. Second messianic prophecy is you will strike his heel. Satan will bite the heel of the savior. And we've seen this already played out, have we not? Satan bit the heel of the Savior. He died for three days, but something miraculous, something wonderful happened at the end of those three days, and Jesus rose again and crushed the head of Satan, yes? So this verse points to Jesus' birth, his death, and his victory over sin and Satan. Right here, in in the very beginning of Scripture, we see the gospel, and we see that the Messiah, the one who is going to crush the head of Satan, although we do not know his name at this point, we do, his name is Jesus. But even though they didn't know the name, they knew that there would be a Savior coming Now, let's jump forward to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. This is a very familiar verse. We just went through Christmas, and every Christmas uh, we read the story of the birth of Jesus, and Luke chapter 1 talks about that. Talks about Mary, talks about Martha and John the Baptist. But what I want to point out to you this morning is in verse 31. John chapter, uh, sorry, Luke chapter 1, verse 31. This is the angel talking to Mary. Now, this same angel spoke to Joseph. 
And he told Joseph the exact same thing he tells Mary here in verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now what makes this important as it pertains to the mission of Jesus is the very name that the angel gave Mary. You think about all of the names in the Bible. Jesus has a lot of them, doesn't he? Son of man, son of God, master, rabbi, I mean, Lord of lords, king. I mean, he's got a lot of names. But here we see the very first name of Jesus in the New Testament, and it's the very name Jesus. So there must be something special about this name. His name, Jesus, is the Greek form of the Hebrew name, Yeshua, which is Joshua in the English. So Jesus, Yahshua, Joshua. So here we are with Jesus. Yahshua, the name Jesus in Hebrew, is a combination of two different words. The first is Y-A, Yah, which is an abbreviation of Yahweh, right? We all know that. And who is Yahweh? He is, he is the God of Israel, right? That is the name. He's our God. The God of Israel is Yahweh. The second part of his name is a verb, and it's Yasha. So Yahshua, Yasha is the second part. It's a verb, and it means to deliver. It means to save. It means uh, to rescue. So the name Jesus literally means Yahweh is salvation, or Yahweh saves. At his birth, we understand the mission of Jesus just by his name. Yahweh saves. He is the Savior. The meaning of Jesus' name reveals his mission to save and to deliver that which is lost. It is also his identity. He is Savior, right? Now jump ahead to Luke chapter 2, just one page over. Now this, I'm going to spend a little more time simply because we never talk about this story. I, I've been preaching for a long time, and I don't think I've ever preached from this verse, and so I'm going to do so today. So we're going to chase a rabbit or two, but we'll get right back on task, okay? Luke chapter 2, we have jumped ahead 12 years. In verse 41, it says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning... The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group that they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why are you, look, why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Now there's a lot here. Well, notice first of all that Joseph, Mary, and the family, they traveled to Jerusalem Every year, it says, as their custom. So they went every year to observe the, the Passover. And they traveled from Jerusalem 
uh, to Jerusalem from Nazareth. Nazareth. So it's a pretty long trip, okay? Every mom in here has had the same mom moment that Mary had, haven't you? How many of you moms have lost your children for at least a split second, right? I mean, oh my gosh, where are they? And you begin to run around looking for your child. Well, Mary had that mom moment, didn't she? Now, before we get mad, before we throw too much shade on Mary, you got to understand what's going on here, okay? Uh, Nazareth, or Jerusalem, I mean, Jerusalem is a fairly large town for that that time, Maybe 30 to 35 or 40,000 people lives in Jerusalem at this time. Okay, you with me? At Passover time, it's estimated up to 500,000 to a million people would travel from all over the country, all over Asia Minor, to come to Jerusalem and to uh, observe the Passover. So can you imagine a town of 30, 40, 50,000 swelling up to 500,000 plus over a weekend. That would be incredible, right? And so where are these 500,000 plus people coming from? Where they're coming from the the surrounding towns, like Nazareth. And so Mary, Joseph, they, what do they do? They travel in packs. Why do they do that? Number one, hey, listen, all the the 'er ne'er-do-wells out there, all the robbers and burglars and mean people, they know that people are traveling to Jerusalem. So it's easy prey. And so they have to stay in big groups. They're in large groups. And so they travel in families and acquaintances and next door neighbors. They all travel to Jerusalem to observe the Passover together. And so here we are. We see that they're a day's journey away. Now, Jerusalem to Nazareth is about a 30 to 35 hour walk. That's a long ways. I couldn't do it. I don't care how many days you gave me. I ain't doing it. Maybe you'd do it, but I ain't doing it. So it's a long ways away. So a day's journey. How many hours can you travel in a day? One, but I don't know. Eight, 10, 12 hours a day, possibly. So they've gone eight, 10, 12 hours. Hey, where's Jesus? Well, he must be with, you know, Uncle uh, uh, Uncle Sal down there. And they, they, well, he's not there. Oh, my goodness. And they search everywhere, and they have to go back. They have to go back and find Jesus, right? First thing I want you to notice out of all of this is how devout Mary and Joseph are. They are good Jewish people. They are good Uh, they are faithful to their religion. If you jump back up to verses 22, 23, 24, and 39, you'll notice the earthly parents of Jesus kept the Mosaic law. They did what God had commanded them to do. Number two, when you see that, how old is Jesus at this point? I can't hear you. He's 12, right? Now this is important. And I know we don't always Uh, hold real tightly to traditions, but the Jewish people did. And they had this tradition. When a girl turned 12 and a boy turns 13, they go through this great ritual. Y'all know what the ritual is? Bar mitzvah for the boy and bat mitzvah for the girl, right? So when a boy turns 13. And why do they do this at 12 and 13? Girls typically mature faster than boys, right? 
physically anyway, they typically mature faster. And so when the girl turns 12 and the boy turns 13, when they go through that puberty time, they go through what is called the bar mitzvah for the boy and the bat mitzvah for the girl. The bar mitzvah means son of commandment. So when the boy turns 13, he goes through this bar mitzvah. He is then son of the commandment or son of the law. And of course the bat mitzvah, when the girl turns 12, she goes through the same thing. And it's called, she's called the daughter of commandment or the daughter of the law. Everybody with me so far? Now, how old is Jesus? You know what he's doing? He is getting ready for his bar mitzvah. Jesus at 12 years old already understands his mission. And he understands because of the example of Mary and Joseph that he also, even though he doesn't need their example, but he's going to be a good Jew and go through the ritual of the bar mitzvah. And what, what I find incredible here is when I memorized this verse a long time ago, I memorized it in the King James. How many of you have memorized verses, sometimes of uh, translations that, we, that I don't typically read anymore? But what we find here is when Jesus... And, and, excuse me, when Joseph and Mary find Jesus, right? How many of you have been angry? Huh? Come on, let's be real. It says that uh, they were astonished. No, they were angry. I mean, you can take that same Greek word and it's angry. I'd have been angry, you'd have been angry. Where's Jesus? Where's my eldest born? Well, he's not with us. I have to walk back 8, 10, 12 hours, and then it takes me three days to find him. Yeah, they're miffed. And so what does Mary do? Why have you treated us with such disrespect? What are you doing? And look at Jesus' answer. Why are you looking for me? 12 years old. Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Now, when I learned this, I learned this. Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? How many of you heard that, right? The reason that there's a difference here is there's this little thing in Greek called the ellipsis. Uh, it, it doesn't happen but maybe two or three times in all of Scripture. But it's one of those grammar things that you have to know. And here is one, that grammar thing. It, it says, literally, in the of my father. That's what it literally says. In the of my father. So the ellipsis, the, what happens is the ellipsis is an, is an omission of a word of such a nature that the meaning of the sentence should be obvious. And when it was translated in the 1900s, the meaning that was obvious about my father's business. Because it could be that. It could be about my father's things, about the, my, about the people of my father, or in my father's house. All of them are good translations. My point here is, is to show you that even at 12 years old, Jesus knew his mission. He knew what he was going to do. He knew what he had to do. Now jump ahead to Luke chapter 19. 
Jesus is walking down the road. Zacchaeus is looking for Jesus. And we all know the story. Zacchaeus climbs up the sycamore tree and he's looking and Jesus is walking down the road. He looks up. Hey, Zacchaeus, never met Zacchaeus before, but knew his name. Hey, Zacchaeus, come down here. I'm going to have supper at your house. And guess what? Zacchaeus and his family are saved. And during all of this conversation, Jesus tells Zacchaeus and those who are listening, for the son of man, that is him, came to seek and to save the lost. That is Jesus' mission statement. In all of scripture, if you want to know what the mission of Jesus is, it is right there in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. In his own words, I have come to seek and to save the lost. Now, if we continue to jump forward and we go to the book of Acts and we see in Barnabas and Paul's missionary journeys, what did they do? They sought and saved those who were lost, right? And you jump back to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2. What happened in Jerusalem? Peter, James, and the other apostles in the church in Jerusalem, it went from 120 believers in the upper room to 3,000 in one day. Why? Because they, they were seeking and saving the lost. They were on task with Jesus' mission. Now, let's understand who is responsible for Jesus' mission. Is it Jesus or is it someone else? Now, have y'all heard, the, y'all have watched the, the TV show Mission Impossible? Y'all have seen that? How about the theatrical release with Tom Cruise, Mission Impossible? You've seen, there's six of them. There's one coming out this summer and an eighth coming out next summer. So it, you know, it's always impossible, but he always makes it possible, right? If you know those shows, you, you, you know the famous words, Right? Your mission, if you choose to accept it, right? Y'all, y'all know that. Well, that's what God said, the Father said to Jesus. Your mission, Jesus, if you choose to accept it, is to obey me. God the Father gave God the Son his mission. And Jesus' mission was to do the work of the Father, the work that the Father had given him to do. In other words, Jesus' mission was to obey the Father's instructions. The Father gave him a specific work, and the Son obeyed that work. Jesus accomplished his mission by faithfully obeying the Father's commands. Now get this. Listen to this very closely. This is important because sending implies authority, right? If the captain tells the lieutenant to do something, it's important. Sending implies authority. He who is sent must obey the commission of the sender. You with me? That's what Jesus did, right? He obeyed the mission of the sender, God the Father. Jesus is fully God. I can't explain everything there is to know about the Trinity, but I understand that there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son and the God the Spirit are just as much God as God the Father. There are three persons with one essence. So Jesus is fully God, yes? But listen, he, he put his wants, his needs, his desires on the back burner, and he did whatever the Father told him to do, Right? He obeyed his father's will. 
he accomplished the work the father gave him to do. So just like the grocer, you remember the grocer we talked about at the beginning? There are churches who have forgotten their savior's purpose. Generally, that is to do the will of the father, to do the will of the one who sins, right? That is our purpose, to do the will of the one who sends us. And then specifically, to seek and to save those who are lost, yes? That's what the church is for. That's what we are to do. But there are so many churches that have this mindset the church is for them. They don't like the sinful habits and the worldly ways of outsiders. They say, hey, if you, if you want to come to the door and point at something, maybe we'll serve you. Yeah? But, but listen, if you, if you want to come in here with us, you have to worship the way I worship. You have to like the music I like. You have to look like I look. You have to dress the way that I dress. Otherwise, just go shop somewhere else. After all, we must maintain our principles. Thank God, Hollybrook Baptist Church is not that church I just described. Amen? This is a church that has opened their doors and open their hearts, that anybody can come in, and anybody is welcome. I praise God for you. Now turn to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. It's on the screen. This is the evening after the resurrection. Sunday morning, Jesus rose from the dead. That evening, guess what? He pops in on them. They're scared to death. Oh, what's going on? And Jesus immediately says, peace be with you. And look what his commission is. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? As the Father sent Jesus, Jesus is now sending us. Just as Jesus obeyed the Father, we are to obey our Savior, Jesus. Remember, sending implies what? Authority. Jesus has authority, and he has the authority to send us. He who is sent must obey the commission of the sender, yes? How many of you were in the armed forces or in uh, police or firework? Do you have to uh, obey the commanding, the guy commanding you? If not, what happens? You're in the brig. Boy, what if Jesus put us in the brig? He'd probably be full of people not obeying his commandment. So it's important to recognize that what we have been sent to do by Jesus, although certainly relates to his mission, is not the same as his mission, right? What was Jesus' mission? To seek and to save the lost, right? How was he to do that? How did he accomplish his mission? By dying on the cross for our sin. He became our atonement. He satisfied God's wrath, God's anger, by putting himself in the firing line. He said, I will step in front of the bullet for you and for me. Is that our mission? No. I cannot be an atonement for anyone, can I? Only he who lived a sinless, blameless life can put his life up for one who has sinned. I can't do that. You can't do that. Only Jesus can do that. So what is our mission? 
Well, turn over to Matthew 28. We see our mission plain as day in Matthew 28, beginning in verse 19, 18. And Jesus came and said to them, I want you to underline, underline the first two words of, that, of his sentence. All authority. See what Jesus says? All authority. Not some, not a portion, not a little bit or most. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The Father says to the Son, you were obedient and obeyed and did what I asked you to do. Therefore, now you have all authority. And he tells us what to do. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." Jesus himself tells us that he has all the authority to what? To send us, to give us our mission, to, to put us out there. And because of his authority, guess what? We are obligated to do what he has told us to do, yes? Jesus has sent us and given us a very specific singular mission. And what is that? Make disciples. That is our mission. We cannot do any more or any less. We are to make disciples. The mandate Jesus gave us is nothing more or nothing less than to make disciples. We make disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that he has taught us. That is our mission. And part of that, making disciples, is yes, we have to seek and save the lost, yes? But we don't just walk up to, listen, I was bad about this when I was a young Christian. I'd walk up to somebody I've never met before and say, hey, if you were to die today, where would you spend eternity? Right? And listen, it's a great question, but it's a terrible question when you go up to somebody you've never met before. I literally, and this is the honor, I got punched in the nose when I asked somebody that one time. I stopped doing it. <laughs> no. When we seek and to save the lost, it means that we're going to have to put some time and effort into it, aren't we? We're, we're, we're going to, it's not, listen, somebody, you may have a conversation with somebody and they accept Christ at that moment. Praise God, hallelujah. But you are not done. That's only portion of what he's called us to do. It's great that you're an evangelist and you can lead someone to Christ that quickly, but that is only part of it. We are to what? Make disciples, teach them all that I have taught you. Not only has he given us this mission, but his word and his spirit have given us the grace to accomplish our mission of making disciples. He didn't leave us alone. What does it say? Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He is with us through the person of the Holy Spirit who indwells us, who gives us the power. He has given us his very word that if we memorize it, it will not come back void. He has given us everything that we need to do the mandate that he has given us to do, and that is to make disciples. That is what we are to do. 
We are to read, preach, and teach the word, 1 Timothy 4. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, which is preaching, to teaching. We are to sing the word. Did you know that? In Colossians 3, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with the thankfulness in, in your hearts to God. Listen, we are to pray the word. You remember in Matthew chapter 6, the disciples come to Jesus and say, hey, teach us to pray. And then Jesus taught them really to pray God's word. And then we've already talked about that we are to observe the ordinances, right? We talked about Matthew 28, 19, baptizing people. Ricky, thank you for being a witness to us this morning, that through your baptism, you've showed us how it one of the steps in becoming in that discipleship process to being the man or woman that God has called us to be. And then if you jump to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul tells us that what I have learned I am delivering to you, that on the night of his death, Jesus broke bread and said, take, eat, right? He took the wine in the same way and said, take and drink. The bread represents my body. The, the, the wine represents my blood. And then he says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You know what he's saying to us? That as disciples, when we take the Lord's Supper, we are not only observing the gospel, but at the same time, we're allowing those outside of the Christianity to see the gospel for themselves through the bread and the blood, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. So how are we then to be committed to the mission of Jesus? Let me give you four quick things and I'm done. Number one, we are to be obedient to the sender. Just like Jesus was obedient to the Father, his sender, we must be obedient to our sender, Jesus Christ. All authority, right, has been given to Jesus. He is the one who sent us. Therefore, we are to be faithful to his mission of seeking and saving the lost making disciples. Number two, we are to make disciples. We don't just run up and say, hey, you wanna go, you wanna believe in Jesus? No. We are to put in our time and our effort and, and we are to make disciples. Listen, it, it's a road that you walk down with someone. That's what it means to make a disciple. It's not just leaving the baby at the front step of the fire station. It's taking that baby into church, into your home, out to eat, doing things with that baby, and teaching them all that God has commanded you. Number three, we're to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We witnessed that this morning. And, and baptism and the Lord's Supper, these these things that, these ordinances, we call them, that we observe, they all point to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What is that? It points to his mission as being the Savior, right? And number last, we are to remember that we are not alone. Again, Jesus told us that he will be with us to the ends of the earth. And he is with us the moment that you trust in him and you call on his name to be saved. At that moment, you are indwelt with the person of the Holy Spirit. You are indwelt with Jesus, the Holy Spirit. 
and he lives in you and he works through you and he gives you everything you need to do what you've been called to do. Listen to how Peter puts it. Peter says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. His, the Holy Spirit's divine power that indwells us has given us everything we need to be the man or the woman that God has called you to be. I.e., to make disciples. He's given you everything you need. There is, listen, we're going to stand before God one day and there will be no excuse that he'll accept for not making disciples. <laughs> it, it, I mean, it is so clear. This is your mission. Make disciples. And listen, I understand I don't know everything about the Bible or I'm afraid of evangelism or I, I don't, no excuse. Because it's clear that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you have everything you need to pertain to life and godliness. So what would happen if we, Hollybrook Baptist Church, raised the bar once again and that every single one of us in this room committed to doing what our sender has told us to do to go and make disciples. Do you think Wood County would change? I do. If every single one of us in this room put our mind to the task of making disciples, Wood County, I, I don't even have to think about Holly Lake Ranch or, or Hawkins. I'm thinking Wood County would change. This place wouldn't be big enough to hold all the people. Will you raise the bar in making disciples? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. Thank you for this commission that you've given us to make disciples. And I pray, God, that we would continue to be obedient and follow you, follow the mission of Jesus of seeking and saving the lost. In his great name we pray, amen. Let's stand together. <clears throat> Maybe you're here this morning as you stand and, and maybe you need to join Hollybrook Baptist Church. Maybe you've heard something and you go, I need to trust in Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and maybe God's talking to you about some sin that's in your life. Or may, maybe there's something that, that you just need to, between you and God, whatever it is, this is called our invitation time. You're invited to do whatever he calls you to do. Just be obedient to the sender. Let's sing. Just as I am.
Amen. You can stay standing. I'm going to ask Ricky, come up here, Rick. Come on, Ricky. Come up, come up, come up. I want to give you your baptism uh, certificate right here. Isn't it awesome to yes. see? I tell you what, I, I, we had an, an, another adult young woman uh, baptized. Isn't it God? Isn't, isn't it cool to see God not just working in our children, but he's working in our adults? Yes. Pretty awesome. All right. Proud of you, girl. All right. Let's sing our way out. Have a great day.